Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's sermon and prayers of intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. As you heard me say, I travel a lot in my ministry, and I've learned that a surefire way to be able to get some sleep and not engage in conversation with those next to me on the plane is to just introduce myself as a Baptist missionary (laughs) and as an American at that. That will do it. So it's rather risky, I would say, to have someone of my stripe up here today on this first Sunday of Lent. This is a confession. The season of Lent, the practice of acknowledging the 40 days until Easter and having ashes put on my forehead was not a part of my Baptist upbringing. When I was a child, it was the Catholic kids who went to church, um, who got, actually, they got to come late to school on Ash Wednesday, and then they showed up with this thing on their heads, on their foreheads, and I thought at first they hadn't washed their faces. But when I asked what that, why it was supposed to be there, um, they just said, well, it's just something we do every year. As an adult and something of an outsider to the practice, I come to find great significance in it. And though I've never been really good at giving up something for Lent, quite honestly, I've tried to at least incorporate certain devotional practices and prayer practices during these 40 days. Spending this time to daily think about, to meditate on the grand of the, the, of the approach to the cross, that terrible moment, that cross on Good Friday, and then knowing the grand celebration of Easter that is to come, draws me into a much deeper understanding of God's passionate, passionate love for me and for all the world. This year, I felt driven. I think it was by the Holy Spirit to be at that Ash Wednesday service at the Craigburg Church last week. Rains and wind couldn't deter me, nor the anticipation of it being entirely in Dutch. And now, 40 days. 40 days of rain before rainbow, 40 years of Israelites wandering in the wilderness, 40 is often used in the Bible to describe an absurd amount of time until the job is completed, often through hardship. During this time, Jesus is led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and endures testings and temptations. This happens just after he has been baptized by John and gloriously proclaimed as God's beloved son, in whom he was pleased so very much. Time in the wilderness gives Jesus a chance to meditate on what this earthly presence of being God's beloved is going to mean. Wilderness is that wild place. It's that waiting place, the place of preparation. It's a place to grapple with God. 
a place to learn dependence on God and on God's provisions. And it is in this Lenten space in which we can also participate. It's a paradoxical space, anticipating pain, anticipating betrayal, anticipating death, that it's entwined with spring and new things to come. During these 40 days, Jesus is meditating on his identity that he has been given and that he has assumed as God's beloved son, while at the same time he's deflecting challenges and tests to his confidence that Satan hurls at him. Jesus is in a very vulnerable position, physically hungry from fasting, alone and unarmed. He is weak and he is powerless. And it is to those very vulnerabilities that Satan hurls his words. First, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days, and he's hungry. Satan attacks his physical vulnerability. Second, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says that they can be his if Jesus will worship him. Jesus is in an incredibly barren place. He's been there for a long time. He's in a barren condition, and Satan attacks his vulnerability to possess power and riches. Third, Satan challenges him to jump from the top of the temple so that a magnificent host of angels could rescue him in a dramatically miraculous way, and then he could receive adulation by crowds of people. Jesus has been alone for weeks and weeks. He's vulnerable to the desire to be admired and even followed by the throngs. If you are the Son of God, you can do all these things. If you are the Son of God, Satan knows who Jesus is. He's trying to bait him. Throughout his ministry, Jesus never falls into the trap of defensiveness or trying to justify who he is. In each of these three tests, he quotes a relevant passage from Deuteronomy which applies to the vulnerability which is being attacked. He doesn't argue. He doesn't make a case for his deity. He simply stands his ground because he knows who he is. He is God's beloved son. He knows that truth through his entire physical, emotional, and intellectual being. God's beloved son. He doesn't have to prove it to anyone or live for others' adulation of it. He is God's beloved son. Each one of us, you and I, have been created by God for God's purposes and are deeply, deeply loved by God. We are God's beloved children, whether we acknowledge it or whether we don't. We were all created with the capacity to live our lives grounded and rooted in that knowledge of our belovedness. But the prince of lies routinely does whatever he can to attack us in our most vulnerable places and rob us of the only identity that we really need in this life. 
1987, God called me in a very strange and mystical way to direct a little project up in the north of Thailand for young tribal girls who were at risk for being tricked and sold into the sex industry. We offered them education, vocational training, and Christian education, and prevented them from being exploited. We were also rescuing girls from brothels using national law enforcement and legal services. Now, this was 32 years ago, before the term human trafficking was being used very widely. Interestingly enough, it was that same year that a project was being started, not very far from here, in Amsterdam called the Scarlet Cord, which was meeting women in the red light district with Jesus caring and compassion. I've learned throughout my travels as a consultant throughout the world that that particular period of time in the late 80s was an era when God's spirit was being poured out on this earth and calling people from here and there and all over to walk into the darkest corners, shining the light of God's love in places where women, men, and children were being used as objects to be bought and sold. As I said, my call to be involved in this ministry was strange and mystical. I was not the founder of the project. It was offered to me by other missionaries who called me on the phone one day and said that that my name just keeps going through their minds and they wondered if I had any interest at all in coming and directing this project. I know that the Holy Spirit had put my name in their minds. Their phone call totally redirected the course of my life. From the beginning, it was absolutely clear to me that it was God's work and it was for God's purposes. It grew and it flourished and it got a lot of attention from media and famous people. And then one day, I woke up. I will not forget the morning I woke up. And I realized that I was known as Lauren Bethel, director of the New Life Center, all one word. It wasn't just me, Lauren Bethel, anymore. My total identity was as director of this project. I knew that, uh, and that, that thought absolutely terrified me. I knew that as long as the project was successful, I could feel really good about myself. But then as soon as we faltered or had runaway girls or got into problems with the government or I couldn't raise enough money, then I was a giant failure. I couldn't live with that burden. I realized that in order to reclaim my identity, I had to take to know down in the deepest being of my soul that my identity was not Lauren Bethel, director of the New Life Center, all one word, but it was Lauren Bethel, precious and beloved daughter of God, full stop. If the project succeeded, great. It was God's work. If it faltered, then God had something else for me and something else for the women I was working with. I was simply Lauren Bethel, beloved daughter of God. That life-changing realization brought me incredible freedom. I could take risks sometimes put myself in dangerous positions when I felt led to on behalf of the girls and be confident of God's presence, knowing that whatever the outcome, I was beloved. I didn't have to take the credit for it. It was God's work. I could even leave at the point where I knew that God's voice was calling me somewhere else to another ministry. 
The work, as special and as dear as it was to me, was not my identity. It was during this time that I began reading the works by the Dutch spiritual writer Henry Nouwen. He once preached a sermon about this passage, and in his own way, he summed up the meaning of the temptations of Jesus. Satan said, turn these stones into bread and show me you can do something. Kneel in front of me so that I can give you lots of possessions. Jump from the temple so that you can be caught and people can speak well of you. And then you're loved because you do something, because you have something, and people speak well of you. And then Nouwen's very famous quote that I'm sure many of you know, you are not what you do, you are not what you have, you are not what people say about you. You're the precious daughter, you're the precious son of God. Looking at the temptations, we see how Satan tries to undermine Jesus' confidence in his relationship with God and therefore chip away at Jesus' identity as the beloved son. He tries to erode Jesus' confidence that he is secure and that he is worthy of God's love. Jesus' temptations are about food, power, and possessions, a claim. Where would Satan tempt you? Where would Satan tempt you in your vulnerabilities? Would it be youth, beauty, wealth, or confidence, fame, security? For me, it has been my identity in my ministry. I take heart that Mother Teresa of Calcutta understood this temptation well, asking others to pray for her, that I not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Temptations have in common that they seek to shift our allegiance, trust, and confidence away from our groundedness and God's love for us and towards some lesser substitute that falsely promises a more secure identity. This text is not about doing bad or good. There are no lists of rights or wrongs. Rather, this text is about whether Jesus trusts God for his future and for his identity. In applying this text to us, we are not asked moral questions if we are doing good or bad things in any moment. The text does ask us, as children of God and followers of Jesus, if we are trusting God, as Jesus did, for our identity and for our purpose and our direction through life. Lent is often focused on self-denial, sacrifice, and (coughs) resisting temptation, and that has its place. But can we journey through this Lenten season, reminding ourselves and each other of the love and the grace of God, which he poured out for us on the cross? Can we enter this Lenten season with our eyes steadily, on that cross, because in that difficult image, we understand most clearly God's overwhelming, incredible love for us and for all the world. God loves us and will continue love us, loving us no matter what, no matter what temptations we succumb to. But today, let us commit to walking through the wilderness of this Lenten season claiming the truth, and knowing through and through in the depth of our very being that we are the beloved sons 
and daughters of God for whom Christ died. Amen. Now we bring forward our prayers of intercession. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you before you on this first day of Lent, we pray for your help to overcome temptation. We need you, Lord, now more than ever. Bless us in these days and help us to come closer to you. Lord, we thank you that you call us your children and we know your love. Lord, bless the leaders of the world and in business. Open their ears to young and old alike and to give us all a better future. Bless the organizers and participants in today's climate march. And we thank you for the celebration of Women's Day last Friday. Bless those who are trying to make a change for the good in the world. Dear God, we pray for those among us in special need, members of this congregation and their friends or family facing medical intervention. Bless them, Lord, O Lord, we pray. Father, we pray for those recently bereaved, especially for Jens and his brother, as they prepare for the funeral of his mother who passed away last Friday. Father, grant all in need today with your life-giving peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.